Thanks for tuning in to the weekly FBC Athens podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Kyle Henderson. If you have anything else you'd like to know about our church, feel free to check out our website, lovingtheworld.com. Enjoy the message. One of the notes that came to me that somebody had written and had filled out and said, uh, I'm one of the participants in Grief Share. It's a new ministry that we started. When we're trying to walk side by side with people that are in moments of deep grief and hurt. And they said the Psalms we've been reading these last few days really have been connecting, just reinforcing those truths. And I was thinking that this week when I had heard Psalm 121, one of those uh, messages, one of the Psalms we've been reading, it's just like so connected to my experience, and I was thinking, oh, I should read it, and I hadn't paid attention to the worship plan, and then Ashley got up and read that psalm. It was like, I, I think in a lot of ways, like this is God's message, just kind of a sideways message to you today. It's like, if you don't know Psalm 121, and the promises that are in there, the strength and the power in your life that's in there, really, really powerful, really, really amazing. And then the band sang uh, Defender. I, don't, I didn't know that song. It was new for me. We were talking about it in the back. She said, I'm just going to let everybody sit down. I said, it was so good for me to hear it. And uh, there's a line in the first verse said, uh, you, bring, you bring back my enemy's head for me. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, that's, that's David, right? Goes and gets Goliath. He cuts his head off. He brings it back to show the king. I, you know, I, I, killed, I killed the giant. And I was thinking about what I'm getting ready to preach about, and I said, yeah, but what happens when it's your head they bring back? I'm in the sermon series, um, Meeting Jesus. Again, if you could go back to those moments when you meet Jesus, when you met him for the first time, when you didn't have all the stuff that you know now and all the life experience, just those first brief moments. When did it happen for you? Like many people that were raised by Christian parents, it happens like around the table you learn to pray. It happens at night in your bedroom when your parents come in. and It happens when you learn to sing the little songs. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, maybe your parents sang that song over to you, and you just learned from the very beginning that Jesus' predisposition towards your life is that he loves you. And, and the people around you that love you, they tell you, I love you, and I'm going to do everything in my power to protect you, and I, I want to help your life go just in great guns, and I want you to succeed. And so you would just assume that that's the way it's going to be. And, and then you learn Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. It's like God's got this great big heart for the world, not just for me, but for every child everywhere. And surely if Jesus was in charge and he loved everybody and loved the little children, like the world is going to be this amazing place. And then you grow up. And it's not exactly that way. And it's harder than you thought it was going to be when you were a kid. And you have to crawl back into those moments and say, how much of those early moments are still in me? And what happens when they come into conflict, when my world 
and my dream of the way the world is, what happens when they, they come against each other? In Matthew's gospel in chapter 11, we meet a person, John the Baptist, who's in this moment when what he's dreamed, what he's hoped, what he's believed was going to happen, and his actual life has come into direct conflict, and the yearning in his life, the hurt in him, the calling out to Jesus is so real, and maybe some of you have stood in John's location before. And I'd ask you to open a Bible, and we're going to read in Matthew chapter 11. Verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this? generation. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge for you and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he's a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. John, the first person really publicly to announce Jesus, to proclaim his message, had been gathering a crowd of young people, people that were so done with the way things were that they wanted to upend society. They wanted to change everything, and they were going to be released on the world, and they were going to see people come back to God, and they weren't going to be just in it because everybody else was in it. They're going to be in it because their hearts had been transformed. They had been warmed by the power of God. They were going to be really different people. 
And people had come, lots of people had come, and they'd been baptized in the water, and they said, John, we're going to do what you said. Let's go. And then John is put in prison because he came up against a person whose moral lies and power were such that when John criticized him, he was able to put John in jail. And now John has been in jail for a while, languishing in jail and wanting to know if the overturn is going to happen. It's the things that they dreamed about. Is it going to happen? Are we going to overthrow this world? And there's lurking down underneath there this experience that lots of us have, which is we kind of secretly think that when Jesus comes into our lives, everything's going to get better. As McManus says in the barbarian way, we believe somehow that Jesus died and rose from the dead so that we can live a life of endless comfort, security, and indulgence. Jesus on my side. He's going to make everything good. He's going to make everything right. It's going to be better. But Jesus didn't come for those reasons. He didn't come to make your life better. He, he didn't come to just push out of the way all the trouble. He came to save you from a meaningless existence, to give you purpose and strength in this world. And there are moments, these great moments, where what's needed from us is faith. That's the thing we've got to do. And this is the crucible that John is in. He's in prison, and that's not what he expected. He's expecting that Jesus is going to leave the overturn of society, and that hasn't happened yet. Are you the one? Or should we look somewhere else? Jesus, I believe you're the one. What's, what's happened? He hears about the deeds of the Messiah, it says. He hears about what Jesus is doing. And there's something about what Jesus is doing and his experience that leads him to believe that maybe something's missing. There's, there's a, and he's reaching out in his confusion and his disappointment. And this is what I would want to say to you is wherever you are with God today, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, God's big enough for you to bring it to him. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to like everything. He's okay with you bringing it to him. And John sends his disciples and says, Jesus, I don't understand. I need your help. Because he's arrived at the island of disappointment. It's a real island out in the middle of the South Pacific of hundreds of miles away from anything. There's nothing. I mean, the first guys that went there, they looked around and said, well, this is a disappointment. There ain't nothing here that I want. So they just wrote on their maps, Disappointment Island. Maybe you've gone to the shore of disappointment. And the thing that you thought and the thing that you're experiencing are not the same. And the sickness has come and it's overwhelmed you and the job has been lost and you don't know where to go. And the plans that you have for your family are crashing and there's no little child in your arms and the person that you thought would love you didn't and you showed up at the island of disappointment and you don't know what to do. That's where John was. And John reaches out to Jesus and Jesus looks at his disciples and said, I need you to, I need you to take a message back to John for me. 
Now, this is a hard set of slides. I didn't like them. I couldn't figure out any other way to do this. But you need to see both left and right side. The left side is what he sends the message back to John. The right side is the scripture verses that he's referring to. And Jesus is taking a bunch of Old Testament ideas and lumps them all into one thing. And he spits out this new list. And so you kind of need to see that what he's saying. He said, like, the blind have received sight. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 35. The lame are walking. This is amazing kind of stuff going on around Jesus. Deaf people are able to hear again. And, and these signs of the Messiah were really, really important. For instance, about blindness, there hadn't been a reported case of somebody recovering from blindness in the Old Testament. So when Jesus is saying that and when it was happening, this is Jesus coming and stomping on the ground and saying, I'm the Messiah. This has never happened before. You've heard the stories. You just kind of assume. But they experiencing it in that first moment, they're like, he's doing what? These things that he's doing are crazy. And then he says, the poor are getting the good news. And in their world, the poor were at the bottom, and nobody cared what was happening to the poor. And Jesus is upending all of society, just like he told John he would. The people at the bottom are at the top. The sick people aren't being punished and haven't been abandoned. They're being loved by God, and God's redoing everything. Now, buried in there, on the left-hand side, Jesus also says, and lepers are being cleansed. At the time of Jesus, amongst the teachers of the rabbis, there was a story that was going around. So it in Scripture, but it was what they told themselves, and they'd been talking about it for a while. We see evidence of it in the writings. And what they decided was that one of the signs of the coming of the Messiah was for a Jewish person to be cleansed from leprosy. Because the only time it had ever happened in the Old Testament was when a Syrian general had been cleaned of leprosy, Naaman, and he had to dip in the water seven times in order that he could be cleaned. And so they got to be telling themselves a story. It says, one of the signs of when the Messiah gets here is that a Jewish person will be healed from leprosy. And so when Jesus says that to John, he's like saying, John, I, I'm, I'm with you, baby. I'm telling you, the stuff is happening, the stuff we've been dreaming about forever. The dead are raised. Jesus has raised somebody from the dead in just a chapter before this moment. The boundary, the barrier, the one that all of them had thought was impenetrable. I mean, this hadn't even entered into the Old Testament prophecies yet. Nobody had really figured this out that when Messiah shows up, he could change that boundary. John, there ain't any boundary that I can't impact. John, I got you, John. Now, it's really interesting that when he's quoting these passages in Isaiah and he's mixing them together and he says, John, here's all the things, the one thing that he leaves off is the ending prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61, which is the release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, it's not like Jesus didn't know it. We see Jesus quote this really similar passage when he preaches in Nazareth, his own hometown. He uses this language. So when he says to John's disciples, go back and tell him this, but don't tell him that, they would all know him. Jesus knows exactly where you are, John. 
and that isn't changing. We have to revise our expectations of Jesus to become in alignment with Jesus and who Jesus is. Not who we want him to be, not who we make him out to be, not what other people have told us to be, but to Jesus of our relationship of who we have come to love and who we can trust him in these hard moments. Because it's our expectation that are problem. He says to John's disciples as they're about to leave, he says, look, uh, don't stumble on account of me. Don't, don't, don't stumble because I'm healing people. You see how crazy that is? Like if we, if Jesus shows up and he's just healing everybody, blind people seeing, lame people walking, deaf people hearing, people jumping around. I mean, it's, it's like it actually happens like it's, you see on TV. It's like everybody's radically. We'd be hollering. We'd be screaming. We'd be going, way to go, God. Way to go, Jesus. And he says, don't, don't, don't stumble on account of me. Don't stumble because what you see happening to them isn't happening to you because you and me is not you and them, you and me. Because when you look at the egg, like, what, what do you think's going to happen? What's coming out of there? I love bird watching. I love birds. Bird behavior, really interesting to me. Um, this is one of the things that happens in bird world. Uh, this is a rufous-sided towhee nest. The white eggs are all from a rufous-sided towhee. The, and people are going, that's a made-up bird name, Kyle. That's not a real thing. So, no, it's a, it's a really cool rufous-sided. It's got red. Rufous-sided towhee nest. But look at the egg on the bottom left. Not a rufous-sided towhee. This is a brown-headed cowbird. Brown-headed cowbirds are horrible birds. They, moms come, they lay their eggs in other birds' nests and then leave. And they say to the rufous-sided towhee, mama, you just raised my baby for me. I'm not going to be bothered by it. And then they run off. And then that baby, that, that egg hatches and the rufous-sided towhee mom goes, man, you're big, aren't you? Because I mean, the brown-haired cowbird way bigger than a rooftop toad. Like, what do you think's coming out of there? The Jesus you have in there is the thing that you've got to deal with because you need the real Jesus and not the one that you've made up about Jesus. He says to John's disciples, I mean, he says about them, they're leaving. <laughs> and he says to them, um, you go tell John that, and then he looks at the crowd, and the crowd's all looking at John's disciples and say, oh, that John, he just doesn't get it, does he? And Jesus says, whoa, wait a minute. I need you to know that your lives are in the same spot. Your level of expectation of me and who I am is out of whack, and we got to get this right. He says, just tell me, when you went out to see John, what'd you go out to see? Did you go see a reed swayed by a wind? Uh, this is shorthand for, did you, you know, you ever seen reeds, they all move together? And, and it was their shorthand for the kind of just get along, go easy, don't create waves, don't make trouble. They didn't go out to see John like that. They wanted John who was going to come and kick some people around and change the world. He said, did you go out to see a guy in fine clothes? Those people are down at the palace. You went out to the wilderness, and the guy was dressed in skins, and he's biting the heads off of grasshoppers and sucking out their insides. He was a wild man out there. You didn't go out to see, see the gap between what we want God to be like 
be popular and be seen and be powerful. What'd you go see? Somebody who's going to make your life easy? Somebody who's going to make you popular and strong and powerful in the world? He says, no. You went out to see a prophet. And this prophet was particularly aggressive and in your face and saying, you need to repent. You can't keep going the way you're going and get to where you want to be with God. And that's the problem. We have to confront the gap between what we're expecting God to do and what God's intending to do. What you come looking for. If you're looking for a pat on the back and if somebody to say, attaboy, keep doing what you're doing, you've come to the wrong place. But if you come to Jesus, he says, I want to remake you and change you and reshape you. And he says, and I sent somebody ahead of you, John, to show you your way. He went before you to show you the way and his way. I mean, he says he's the best. There ain't anybody like him. There's never been a prophet like him. There's never been anybody I believe in more. Don't look at his life in prison and assume somehow there's something deficient in him. There isn't anything deficient in him. He's magnificent. He's my guy. And he's staying in prison, and he's going to die there, and they're going to cut his head off there, and he's going to show you your way. This is the way of sacrifice. It's the way of faith. It's not the way of ease. It's hard work. And then Jesus tells a children's story. Like he says, how, how can I get this through to you? How can I talk to this generation? You people are just all out of whack, what you expect and what I'm providing. They're at cross purposes, he says. It's like little children. They're all sitting in the market. And they're playing a game. Let's play wedding. You ever played wedding, right? Somebody's the groom, somebody's the bride. Everybody gets it. You, know, you make little flowers out of napkins. A little girl puts a napkin on her head. Da, 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 da. We sing a little song. We all come together. We're, so this is the word pipe and dance. These are wedding words. So he says they're playing wedding. You ever played wedding? I mean, this is, when you play wedding, you're just like, oh, this is amazing. This is beautiful. This is like everybody's got their best on. You get to kiss the bride in front of everybody. Everybody's so happy about what's going on. And Jesus says, you're playing the wedding music, and you're grumpy. You're not on board. You don't get it. This is not what's happening here. He says, this is, this is you. The little kids, I don't want to play that game. I don't want to play wedding today. He said, fine, let's play funeral. Okay, we'll sing the dirge. Cindy's family had kid funerals. Like, not when kids died, but when animals died, the kids led the funerals. And they went out in the back, and they dug holes, and they buried the animals, and they had kid funerals. It's like, you know, it's like, let's all be sad. The problem is there's always a kid in the back who's doing selfies at the funeral, right? who's joshing around. and I don't know if you know this. Funeral selfie is a thing. Like people post them online. They take selfies of themselves at funerals. He says, it's the mismatch. I don't understand you. How can I talk to you people? I've come, and I'm offering you life, 
And what you want is not what I'm offering. Because he said, look, John came. John came. Look what it says here, verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking. He was, man, he was out in the wilderness. And you say of him, he's a demon. He's the devil. He's so hard, Jesus. Do you know how mean he is? He's telling me that I have to change. He's telling me that some of the stuff I'm doing is wrong. And that doesn't make me feel good about myself, Jesus. I just want you to make me feel good about me and my choices. And I just want to do what I want to do. You say of John, he's a demon. Then they say, Jesus came eating and drinking. And what do you say about him? He says, anything goes. Do whatever you want. Have a party. Ignore responsibility. Don't confront your sin. He says, the gap is not me, and it's not John. It's you. And what you expect and what I have to offer have to align. Because what he's saying to us is, We have to have grace and truth if we're going to fully follow Jesus. If I could say to parents and people that you're trying to disciple someone, I think this mixture is one of the tricky moments. It's really hard to get right, but it's a tension, and that's what this passage is about. It's like what happens in these tension moments. Like it's real, real easy to be a high-truth person and low grace. And what you do all the time is you criticize and you point out and you push down. That's bottom right, right? Legalistic, pharisaical, judgmental church. It's real easy to be high grace and low truth and just pat people on the back and say, it's not that bad. You didn't sin a lot. There's a lot worse sinners than you. Jesus loves all the sinners. He just loves you. But to ignore that God expects you to be holy. God expects you to follow his example and never hold anybody accountable. And that is permissive church and permissive society. And that's the society we live in. And then bottom left, that's just Christian cultural church. Everybody kind of dresses alike, sing the same songs, you show up, but it's neither much grace nor much truth. But what Jesus is trying to do is radically different than that because he wants to reshape the world, and he wants to start with you, and he wants to tear down the idols and the false ideas that you have and strip all that stuff away and say, what I need is for you to love me just exactly like I am. Sometimes that means you have to trust him when you don't understand it. And he said to John, stay right where you are. That's what the world needs. And they took John's head and brought it in to the king. Everyone there saw the difference between character and truth and power and faith 
kind of emptiness, people-pleasing, compromise, and ugliness. Jesus ends this conversation with these words. Wisdom is proved right by her deed. What you do next matters. Who'd you come looking for today? A reed blown by the wind? I just want to get along. I just want to go easy. I don't want to clear any ways. You're looking for somebody dressed in fine clothes? I want to be popular. I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. Or did you come to follow the living Christ? We'll see you.